Good morning and welcome to this episode of Digital Confidence and Decision Making Podcast. Something slightly different for you this week. I'm going to be having a chat with a long-term friend of mine, Mr. Rob Sims. Very good to uh, be with you. How are you doing? How was your uh, your festive period? Very good, thank you. Very rested, relaxed and switched off from work for an entire week, I think. What about yourself? Good for you. Yeah, much the same. Um, it's funny. You know, coming back into the hot seat, so to speak, you, you, you kind of have that fear of, I don't remember how to do my job. Uh, but as soon as you, as soon as you start, you know, everything's good again. But no, much, much needed uh, time with the family. Uh, we didn't go anywhere. We just had a lot of food and look back on the year with, with kind of like, what on earth was that all about? <laughs> it was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> I always say I'm, I'm obviously two years into the business now and I couldn't have picked a worse two years, I think, to have actually started my own company. But we're still here. We're still going. There's still money in the bank account. So we we plug on. Testament so, to you, though. That's great. If you can survive that, you, uh, you, you're through the worst of it, I think. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully we can uh, start to build on stuff this year. Let's see what happens. There'll be another variant, though, Rob, you know. Of course. There'll be something else. So... Rob, today we're going to have a little chat, kind of a little bit about some of your history, where you've come from, where, how you are in the tech industry. Uh, we worked together when when you were at Box, obviously, and we've kept in touch ever since from then. But within the book and the methodology and, and where we get to, A, I talk a lot about discuss, which I think is key. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on. And that will become more obvious as the, the conversation goes. But also the, the other big thing really is that for me, more people who aren't technical or haven't done computer science or computer studies, or as my first book was, I don't do technology, need to get more interested in what is actually happening in the world of tech, what's happening at the moment uh, and where it's going. So that when they are looking at transformation programs and changes and IT are bringing new strategies, new ideas, and things to them there's actually a level of understanding of what that means and again you're similar to me in that we don't have that technical background have come into the industry and under learning and if you look at twitter at the moment uh, the amount of chat around nfts and web3 and metaverse it's again it's taken us to another level that if you're not even at the first level yet there's so many jumps you're gonna have to make to catch up and figure out where we're going so really i just wanted to start with Kind of how have you ended up in the tech industry? Well, I mean, it's such a weird journey that I went on um, to get into the tech industry. It started off, um, I was doing a course at university, which I really didn't enjoy. Um, I panicked a little bit at the end of my A-levels. Uh, so at the end of my sort of further education, um, half of my friends were going to university doing a course that they, you know, wanted to be on. And the other half of my friends were going into full-time employment. So I was at that sort of crossroads at the age of 18. And I just thought, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do something a bit different. I'm going to, I'm going to go to university, but I'm going to do a course that I don't really know anything about, but really I'm going to choose uh, a destination as far away from my hometown as possible with the goal of actually finding out what it is in my life that I think I want to do, but also yeah. do it as far away from home as possible 
to discover maybe a little bit more about myself um, and find myself without the support of your family and friends in the comfort of your home. So I went to Middlesbrough uh, up in the northeast of England um, and I'm from the southwest of England. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, that's a, that's a long journey for you, Rob. You know, door to door, it was exactly 300 miles, um, nice. it, which, which was remarkable already. So I probably went as far from home as I possibly could. Um, and you know what? It was it was a great decision. Going to university wasn't for me. I'm, I'm not I'm not an academic. I didn't enjoy school, the element of exams. They kind of give me anxiety and um, I don't have a great memory <laughs> because I think, you know, with exams, a lot of it is about remembering the answers to the questions, right? So I went to university, panicked a little bit, really enjoyed the lifestyle of being a student and away from home and the freedom and everything that, that gave you. But I still didn't really kind of know what I wanted to do. I had a part-time job in a supermarket and I decided... I'm actually going to go full time in a supermarket here and just earn a bit of money, live in cheap student accommodation, but quit university and um, and kind of figure stuff out for myself then. And about a week into making that decision, I hadn't yet quit my course. My housemate at the time came through the checkout that I was sat on at the supermarket with um, an A4 piece of paper that he had ripped down from the job posting board at the student union. And it was advertising for a traffic and travel BBC radio presenter. And he said, Rob, this is your destiny. It's got your name written all over it, so to speak. And I had no radio experience, um, you know, didn't even consider it as, as an option. And he's, and I, I said to him, what, do, what, you know, what is a, a person who is currently unsure of their future, where this is going to go, what direction their life is going to go in? You know, I'm working at a supermarket. I've decided that I think I'm going to leave university. And now you're saying that you think I'm going to be a good fit for a BBC radio job. And he's like, well, you've got a great voice. You know, you've got a good face for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> he said, why don't you just give him a call? So I did. I gave them a call that evening. It was a Friday. And they said, can you come in on the Monday and record a voice demo? And I came in on the Monday, did a voice demonstration, had no idea what I was doing, stood in front of a microphone, had to read a couple of scripts. And they gave me a call in, uh, that evening and said, can you start tomorrow? And I made the decision to quit university uh, and got a job full time as a traffic and travel broadcaster uh, presenting traffic news uh, across the northeast of the UK uh, for local radio. and. Within that came an opportunity to transfer to the Southwest office in Bristol, um, where I then took on some extra work and became a weekend sports reporter and uh, doing covering some local football matches for BBC Radio Bristol. And it was amazing. You know, I never thought I would, I, I would get into it. And um, the reason why I'm telling you this is because that decision when I look back upon my career was obviously the keystone into where I've landed today. So from that role uh, and, you know, obviously working at the BBC, you interview people, you meet a lot of people, you have to think on your feet, you have to talk to people, you have to discover what makes, you know, what motivates people and you have to, 
you know, really kind of understand the thought, you know, you have to, I'll give you an example. I once commentated on a game. Um, it was a Bath City game at Twerton Park. A big game. A, a great game. They lost 5-0. <laughs> and uh, their manager at the time had to do a post-match interview with me. And he's obviously not very happy. They just lost 5-0. And I know that I had to get, you know, five minutes of, of content from him good content to keep the listeners, to keep the, you know, the fans engaged as to what had happened, you know, and this, and, and being the BBC, you get first pick or, or you're the first pick for the interviews. And then it, it goes down to the, you know, the other radio yeah. stations and then newspapers as well. So you're the first person asking the question. And that's a really difficult thing to do, right? As, as, a, as a junior sort of member of staff, as I was back then, um, speaking to, the manager at the time was somebody who'd played in an FA Cup final for Sunderland, lost to Liverpool in the 92 Cup final. So he had been, you know, around a lot of football. And the last thing he wanted to do was speak to some 22-year-old, 23-year-old kid <laughs> in his yeah. mind about why, you know, why he thinks he got his tactics wrong. So, yeah. so it taught me a lot, right, that, that, that role. And it's very much, uh, you have to, you know, you, of course you receive training, but it, 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 you think a lot on your feet and you have to come up with conversations and questions that are going to be different and they're not going to annoy the individual. So from there, I, you know, uh, B B the BBC made a decision um, to move everything up to Manchester uh, Sport-wise, so BBC yeah. Sport went from London to Manchester, and I thought, okay, if I wanted to further my career at BBC Sport, the natural move was to go to London. But obviously, they'd moved everything to Manchester, and I didn't want to do that. So I actually left that career and got a role in advertising sales. And um, from there, it was a telephone, it was a telesales cold calling role where you're pitching. CMOs advertising space in yep. publications and, and events. And that again was tough, but the, the knowledge and the muscle, if you like, that I had built from interviewing and questioning and discussing with my role at BBC really, you know, allowed me to, to, to be a more of a conversationalist as opposed to a salesperson. Yeah. So from That's a target. I should drop in there, Rob. I, I went for an interview when I left university, having not finished again, uh, at an agency that, that did that telesales piece. And I actually ended up having a stand-up argument with the interviewer halfway through it because I told him he was fake and a liar, basically, mm. and left. And they didn't contact me again so my career in telesales ended relatively quickly short lived i like it though but you discovered that it wasn't for you right so exactly. or, or maybe, maybe that particular uh, organization um i was all right at sales you know i i, I was okay but the problem is maybe a, a, you know quite similar to you i i was i was more of a conversationalist and and it and it i enjoyed the art of the sell rather than the it sounds ridiculous because obviously you measured on commission, but I preferred 
the tactical battle versus the let's scream a pitch down the phone and you know yeah. get sell and then move on to the next one. Um, and anyway, as a result, the organization that I worked for started to uh, go into more um, in-person events. And there was an opportunity as they were expanding um, for somebody to come and essentially run, you know, be the head of events for this organization. So I did uh, apply for that role and I was fortunate enough to be selected to run events for this organization. It was a phenomenal job. It took me around the world. It took me to America for the first time. I went to Africa. I went to the Far East running C-level conferences and very much out of my comfort zone. But again, looking back through my career, um, you know, having the, the, uh, um, having the, I, I, Go on, get it out the background, the knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. The background, if you like, having the background in and the confidence, I think that's what it is, right? Having the confidence of knowing that you're speaking to an audience. I mean, I did national traffic and travel news on a couple of stations. And, you know, that is, it's it's terrifying, nerve-wracking. I mean, it, you know, you, you don't think about it when you're driving in your car. But I remember once, a, um, I went to school with uh, Jensen Button, who's a right. Formula One, uh, yeah. former world champion. I don't know him particularly. If I saw him down the street, we would nod and say hello, right? But um, anyway, I was at a bar in, in Bristol once, and he was in this bar. And I walked past him and I nodded to him and he went, oh, Rob Sims. I said, hello, Jensen, how are you? He said, he goes, I'm great, thanks. He goes, you know what was really weird? The other day I was driving down the M4 and you interrupted me as you interrupted my song and the traffic news came on. And I said to the person I was driving with, he went, I went to school with that kid. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my point being is you never know who's listening, right? To Exactly. To and, and certainly back then, I think it's changed a lot now. I'd, I'd say the same, even, even when I did my first podcast, the, the thought of recording yourself and putting yourself out there yeah. was massive. I was doing laps of my lounge, walking around, pacing, going, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And you might, I don't know if you remember, the very first time I stood on stage and did a talk to about 500 people was for Box. Yeah. Uh, and, and before this, we were chatting, I think it was Nick Neuer that was interviewing me on stage with with three or four other people. And before we went on stage, I'd I'd literally had to go and put a jumper on because I was sweating. Yeah. And my hands were sweating and I didn't want to pass the microphone to anyone because I didn't want to give them a clammy mic yep. and stuff. And you're looking out at a sea of faces looking back at you thinking someone's going to call me out or catch me on something or ask me something or trip me up and I was absolutely terrified and someone I, I think Joe actually ended up getting me a, a ice cold bottle of water that I could put my hands around yeah to try and stop it and, it, yeah. and it's it's little things of just yeah putting yourself out there and and when it's an industry that you might be new to or you're trying something different in or the first time regardless of whether you're in a studio on your own recording or on stage in front of people it's massively nerve-wracking, isn't it? Hundred percent. And imposter syndrome sets in, everything like that. And yeah, I mean, I obviously got through it quite well, and then suddenly went actually, I quite enjoy yeah. being on stage to a point. I still get nervous. I still do, that, but once I'm up there, as oh. long as I know what I'm talking about, I'm all right. But 
Richard, we, we, we could do a whole podcast on this. I'm, I've got sweaty palms now talking to you, right? It, honestly, it's... That's because my fame level, my 12 <laughs> listeners, Rob, crazy. It's bizarre. Some, somebody on my team recently said, uh, so I hosted a, um, we had a customer session recently and I hosted it. And afterwards, somebody on my team who was on the call messaged me and said, um, I really enjoyed the way that you interacted. I said, oh, I was so nervous. I, I actually thought I was going to be sick before the call started. And she said, really? You, are you feeling okay? I said, I feel fine. This happens every single time that I do anything that involves being in the public eye. I have this, to your point, imposter syndrome or just, a, I, I guess it's the fear. And I said, but actually, it's the fear that drives you, right? It's good that you get the fear because you can then learn to cope with it and channel that fear energy into actually the performance piece i said I, I, I bet you any money that any sports individual has the same thing when they run out of the tunnel into a stadium and there's fifty thousand supporters clapping them you know that you get the adrenaline rush that, that actually keeps going but they're nervous like people are nervous yeah. but it's 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 how you channel that nervousness into the performance piece as well and um just to kind of uh, sort of finish off my background, I think we've taken about 15 minutes of, of me just to <laughs> who I am. So apologies for it. But the reason why I wanted to kind of go down this uh, route was the way that I found where I am today is, is purely through talking to individuals and discussing with individuals and having a human to human conversation about stuff, right? And just being myself. So from that business, um, I then you know, got to know the head of sales for the company who went on to set up his own business. I went to that company. They were based in Hawaii. That was a bit of a draw for me. Um, from Hawaii, we then moved to Chicago. And then that's when I met Box and I met the uh, the team at Box and an opportunity came up to run their customer advisory boards. And um, I'm really glad I took it because it brought me back to the UK and I got to meet you and we did some fun stuff together. And um, that's the best thing that's ever happened in your career. It is today. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, I said to you from, from the moment I met you, it was all downhill from here and it has been. Absolutely. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, even, even that role involved you, therefore, having to go into a room full of CIOs, IT people, techies, and everything else, and to be able to facilitate roundtable discussions, conversations, presentations, and everything else with them. And I know from from back then when I was also uh, one of those on stage, probably the smallest company name on the stage at the time, because you also had the likes of Eurostar and, and lots of other big customers who were bringing their CIOs over. That can be quite intimidating to be in a room with those guys having conversations and I liken it a little bit I think probably to in the book I talk about one of my meetings where I was number 10 policy unit talking about the ethics of AI and I was in a room of absolute boffins mm. and believe me the conversation was miles above where I could be but when I finished it and I said to the guys was I in the right meeting sort of thing jokingly they were like yeah because you actually need to ground the conversation in reality these guys conversations are up there and out there of where we're going. We need someone perspective to go, no, these are human lives. This is what we're doing. This is how it affects councils. This is how it affects social care. 
and things and bring it back and to have those conversations then you're like okay that makes a lot of sense now mm. to have almost the non-technical person there as part of that conversation i couldn't agree more i, I think yeah you, you're right everybody everybody um brings a different perspective to the table and it's when you recognize that that then the purpose of the meeting or the session or the event or whatever the discussion is um, is realized because you're you're including everybody's voice and it might be it, you know to, to your point you might feel that you're the odd one out in the room but actually you know it was quite clear that your perspective was super important because you were looking at things at a completely different angle from what the boffins in that example were, were doing. So, no, I think it's really, really key. And, and I think, you know, the first session that I did, so I ran CIO events in America and and, and the UK. I, you know, I, I ran a lot of these as, as the master of ceremony. So I would stand up on stage and welcome people to the event and, you know, host fireside chats and panel discussions. But the, the first meeting that you were at, at, at Box uh, all those years ago, that was my very first customer advisory board with CIOs. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I knew that we, I knew what the goal was. The goal of a customer advisory board, of course, is to bring your customers together to get feedback on, you know, your roadmap, how the technology is performing within your organization and, and build advocacy with, with, your, with your customers. So I knew what the goal was. I wasn't necessarily sure how to do it. Um, and again, I think you just, you just look at it. It's, it's the old classic. How do you, how do you, how do you eat an elephant? We can't do it in one big sitting. You have to take it down chunk by chunk, right? Um, terrible analogy. That's, for that, that's a new one on me, Rob. I've yeah. never had the eating an elephant one, but yeah, it would be difficult to eat. It, it would be right. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. So you have to take it down chunk by chunk, um, and, you know, break things down into, uh, into smaller pieces, I guess. But just, I, I think, I think if you're always looking at well, what is the purpose, what is the mission, what are you trying to accomplish? And if you always point back to that, then I think it will be a successful meeting session discussion, whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think particularly from again, almost that senior director, chief exec, doesn't really understand the technology but actually they do understand the outcome where they need to go what they need to achieve the level of savings you can i think you can pick up enough within tech to understand to have those conversations because i always say it's not about uh, learning how to code or anything like that it's literally where do we need to go almost what tech is available to us the 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 market changes constantly, new products come to market every week. We're always pushing one step further, one step harder. You probably look at Box from where it was four or five years ago when we were talking about it to where it is today. Mm. It's probably moved miles since I last used it. Uh, and it's about understanding the business benefits of the technology rather than than how it all kind of gets put together. And that's kind of the mission I go on to coach and mentor non-senior directors and CEOs. Uh, sorry, I said non-senior, non-technical uh, senior directors, CEOs into that model. And why discuss is such an important element of it 
because you need to understand the problems you're trying to solve, the objectives that you're trying to hit and the outcomes. And if you don't, when you get hit with a strategy, almost like what are you measuring it against? Because it might just be a document full of technical stuff saying we're doing loads of things. You sign that off, but you've got no real understanding or knowledge of what the outcome at the end of that's going to be. And having that focus on outcomes is is massive. Mm-hmm. And I think for you and me, kind of coming into an industry, and I know a lot of people have also come into the industry from, from non-technical, but I was an IT director and I had to therefore have conversations with the networks team. I had to have conversations with the applications team, with the server team, with the, the desktop team. I don't know how you put a laptop together, but I know I want it to work and I know what I want it to do once it is together. Yeah. And I can convey that to someone. And I think as well, one of the things you're you're good at within those CIO boards is kind of almost stopping someone when they're going too technical and almost bringing it back and saying, we need to almost layman terms it slightly to yeah, so that we can all discuss it in a more rounded way rather than just acronyms and and technical terms definitely i think you know the roles that i've had and the role that i currently have um helps a little bit when you've got individuals who are representing different geographies and different sectors because if somebody is going too far down the rabbit hole of a certain sector like that isn't relevant to the others in the room then it is easier to kind of pull pull you know, the conversation back to where you're trying to get to. It, it is more challenging, let's say, for example, if you had a room full of, um, you know, uh, individuals all from the same country, all in the same industry, then there is that there is that sort of danger, right? But it's, 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 it's about keeping the discussions at a level that is generic enough. And th- this, this sounds, this sounds quite blunt, I suppose, but Generic enough where everyone in the room is engaged, but also relevant as well to what everybody's thinking. So an example being somebody might say, okay, well, in my business, sustainability is really, really important. And it is for everybody. So that's great. So you can, you can really hone in on sustainability. Somebody might turn around and say, well, actually culture is really, uh, you know, and and how to hire the right talent and retention is, is really important. And then somebody might turn around and say, well, actually, you know, manufacturing car handles is like a car door handles is a, is a really you know, important thing for us at the moment because we're not sure whether there's a sensor where you put your hand in front of the car and the handle comes out. And it's just like, well, that's not relevant if you've got somebody from the financial industry. They might be a user of that car eventually, but it's not relevant to them now. So, you know, it's trying to find, <laughs> trying to find that, that level, I guess, uh, where you said it yourself, where everybody's grounded and everybody has that kind of commonality is that a term commonality i'm not sure if it is might have just invented a new word there new word it's not a new word (laughs) is it not (laughs) that's a real word okay good um i guess it's not one that we use all the time ironically um so you know it's just finding that that sort of that common discussion where everybody can contribute to it and then you can you know you, you can kind of look around the room and say oh richard what are your thoughts on this and you you'll actually turn around and say well actually i think there's a I think it's brilliant because of this. Or you might turn around and say, actually, it's just not relevant to me because of that. Well, that's fine. You're still including people in that, yeah. in that, in that discussion. And I think your point, your first point in your book, be the five. Um, Is that the page you've read, Rob? 
of, of, the, yeah, <laughs> of, of discuss, for me, that is the most important aspect of it. So, you know, that's why you put it at number one. It's the most important thing. If you're not having that discussion, you're losing people and you're not getting that buy-in, right? It's all about making sure that everybody kind of understands something about what you're trying to do. They might not understand the whole thing. That's okay. Yeah. But have the discussion. And that, you know, kind of points back to everything that, that we've been discussing in, in in this topic. You've just got to start. You've got to start somewhere, but you've got to have the discussions and speak to everybody. Speak to absolutely everybody. It might not be scalable in large organizations, but that's fine. You can set up, you know, these mini committees and speak to those that are heading up the committee. Make sure those committees are speaking to their people and those people are speaking to their people. But just have that discussion and make sure that everybody's voice is heard and included. And it's, you know, whether it's a company of one person or 200,000 people, if you're not having that discussion, the whole thing loses its momentum. So Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny, it's, it reminds me a little bit of a lot of the conversations in local government now, especially in the IT world, are centered on low-code or no-code solutions. Mm. And go on about it for ages. All the marketing's about them. There's webinars about it and all sorts. But you're almost at the point of going, but no one cares. Yeah. How you get to the solution, no one outside of IT cares. The, the solution is, have we delivered a better service or a more financially beneficial service? Have we made the right level of savings? Have we done this? How we've got to that point, brilliant. The techies can go and talk about that and have that chat. But actually selling your product as a low-code product to a chief executive is almost irrelevant. They don't care mm. what it is. They don't care about cloud technology or anything else. They care... Am I coming in on a Monday? Am I turning my system on? Does it work? Can I get to whatever I need to get to? Have I made it easy for my residents, my customers to be able to do their jobs? And therefore, I'm fine with that. However, IT have done that within kind of a budget envelope or whatever. That's absolutely fine. But that could be low code. It could be bespoke bill. It could be anything. The conversation isn't necessarily about the tech. And that's where I think Box were actually very good. And Aaron still to this day, although he seems to be on a Twitter rant about NFTs and Web3 at the moment, he was always very good at selling the benefits of Box rather than the technical aspects of how it hangs together and how it works. Yeah, I think you could you could lose a lot of people in that conversation. And yeah, you, you're absolutely right. He... Um, he managed manages to engage with people on a on a level where you just get it, you just understand it. You know, it's almost it's almost that that classic. Explain this to me as if I was five years old. Yeah. And um, I recently took a course with London Business School on design thinking, uh, which uh, which we mentioned before before we went on this uh, session, and it was really insightful because one of the one of the uh, elements of design thinking is looking at a problem through the eye of a child because the older we get the more complicated a, a solution yeah. is we think but actually sometimes and most of the time the most simplistic form of of looking at something is is often the best right because again it just you know everybody is is on that level of understanding and they're therefore they just get it and 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 you're right i think aaron did a 
a really good job of explaining that. Certainly in the early years of, of you know, he was up against some real, you know, huge competition from, you know, some of the biggest tech companies in the world, um, Microsoft and Google, you know, who have a very similar product to what he was pushing that comes part of a, you know, wider stack uh, of, yeah. of tech that organizations were purchasing. But Box became successful because of, you know, it was a simple tool to use and a really cool interface to do it with. And people just enjoyed working on that platform and realizing actually it does make my job a lot easier. You don't need to know the coding and how it works and the security that's wrapped around it and all that kind of great, you know, great stuff. Um, but yeah. I think but that was it, wasn't it? It, it was it was more about what benefits is this given? And actually, <clears throat> I'll go slightly public sector again. I struggled with the financial case in the council because they were kind of looking for the corresponding saving line against the box licenses. And you're sat there going, it's not about that. What you've asked me to deliver is that social workers can go out to see more people during the day, they can have their notes with them, they can access their files on their laptops or their iPads. We want housing officers out on the streets doing stuff, not having to come back in between every single case to pick the next set of case notes up and go back out again. So there wasn't a a budget line that said I'm spending X on box and I'm saving X because I'm not buying SharePoint licenses or something else. And it was really difficult in a kind of a, a let's call it a legacy organization the way that it's structured financially to almost put that model to them of you're investing in the tech because we're trying to make everyone else better at what they're doing and how they're doing it and i, I had all sorts of arguments with some of the consultants we had in at, at peterborough particularly around them almost saying we'll choose the tech and it's like no you won't i'll choose the tech you'll give me your list of problems and issues that you want solving. And I remember, I, I will say, I remember one meeting where we were putting ideas and stuff on the wall and someone wrote security and I crossed it out and wrote Okta. And the, the consultant went, you're not here to tell me solutions. I was like, if you think I'm letting you tell me what security solution I'm putting in at the council, mm. you've got another thing coming because it's my name that goes on the bottom right. of that. Uh, and but again i i understand that people want to be able to work from home work flexibly go out therefore i have done the work to find the solution to that and for me that solution was okta and that kind of uh was set in stone and there was no way i was going to let a another person who wasn't ultimately responsible come in and say that and, and funny i was going to mention okta a minute ago because you reminded me of something a couple of the conferences i did with them uh where i was on stage with a guy whose surname i've completely forgotten michael uh who's now i think he's in dubai at the moment dubai airport but he was cio of gatwick mm -hmm. at the time and actually we both spoke on stage about the difficulties we had within the businesses and where we were going and where we we're doing stuff and everything michael said i had the same issue and everything i said he had the same issue and again, it's like where you've got a room full of people from lots of different industries. Actually, the issue that was underlying all of it were the same. We just happened that he was looking at software that did 
flights and baggage and getting people on a plane on time. I was looking at software that did planning and events and uh, licensing and, and things like that. But the, the business issues we had were almost identical to a point. And it was it was refreshing for me, I think, to be able to have those conversations with someone in a completely different industry, almost going, I feel your pain. I think one of the things was uh, you were limited by the, the people within your market. Because local government has a very select market of suppliers. And he was basically going, yeah, the airport industry, I've got three. It's, mm -hmm. I pick one of three. It's like, do I pick the least crap of three? And <laughs> yeah. actually in councils, you, you're often in that position as well. It's it's which one's the least bad as opposed to which is the best solution. So, yeah, again, being able to sit and talk to Michael, it was Michael Libertson was his name. There we go. Uh, and to be able to have those conversations with him and, and like you say, you go for a meal or have a beer afterwards and, and talk it through. Again, almost takes away, I think, another level of that imposter syndrome of, oh, actually, I'm not unique. I don't have my own issues. What I'm trying to achieve at the council is actually very similar to what he's trying to achieve. And he's telling me about his mate who works in another industry who's got the same issues and is trying to achieve. And suddenly you understand that although everyone thinks they're different, special, unique, underneath it all, we're all kind of a business, all trying to achieve something, whether that is public sector, private sector, or whatever. And actually within each of our own individual markets, we're fairly limited with what we can do, where we can go, the money we've got available, working to budgets and everything. So yeah, conversations for me and getting out there, speaking to people. And this is why in the book, again, I talk about conferences and I think more non-tech people need to go to more tech conferences and have those conversations. Because again, I've done a Dreamforce in San Francisco and I've done Boxworks in San Francisco as well. A lot of the conversations you have at these aren't technical yeah. sessions. There, Of course, there are technical sessions. You can deep dive into the work, but there's so many conversations and discussions that are at a business level of what are we trying to achieve and and almost like the answer being box or Salesforce is the last thing that's said. It's we had a problem, we needed to solve it. This was the problem. This is how we did it. This is ultimately what happened. Oh, and by the way, we built it using box. And I think they're crucial to be able to bring the business and the IT departments together to enable those kind of discovery sessions, ideas, and everything else as part of that. No, I agree. I, I totally agree with you. And um, when I left Box, I actually set up, as you know, I set up my own uh, events business uh, with that whole idea. So the idea was we wanted to run a tech conference um, but bring in the entire C-suite from organizations to discuss things like how does, you know, when, when you go wall to wall with Google or Microsoft or, or, or Amazon in the cloud, how does that impact tech innovation within an organization, but not bring the chief technology officer to the discussion, bring in the chief marketing officer or the, the, the you know, the, the chief people officer to, to talk about, you know, are people, do people consider 
the tools and the technology in the workforce a benefit or you know a turn on or a turn off to a decision yeah. if they're actually going to join that company and some people do you know some people look at it and go actually I don't want to work for that company because they don't use a system or a, or, or a tool that, that a I'm familiar with or, or want to use or, or believe in and 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 that's everybody's problem that's not just the you know the the, the tech person's issue it's it, it's a problem right across the organization so I totally agree with you I think you know the more people who are having the discussions not just at the board level or at the tech level but across the whole business then it will only lead to the success of a project or an implementation or whatever it might be it's all about your point in in the the first point in the book around the discuss right and bringing in all yep. those different voices from all over um it's critical it really really is yeah so so we we found we found some success actually in in the conference because you know we were having it was, they were they were tech conferences but we were speaking to CIOs and CTOs and, and CISOs after the event, and they were saying, I loved having, you know, a room full of CFOs there because I don't normally get to meet with chief financial officers. But, you know, not only does it build up their network, it builds up different perspective. And, you know, CFOs understand, obviously, how the finances work in a business, but they don't necessarily understand how the tech works within a business. Yeah. So it's learning in both ways. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I absolutely love conferences and events. I think they're, they're, they're amazing. And I, I, you know, the pandemic has, 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 you know, obviously proved how much people are missing the live in-person stuff. It's all very well doing stuff digitally and virtually. And, and, and that, that, will, that will always be a benefit. But I can't wait for things to open up again, um, whether they no. will. I'm the same. I watched uh, AWS reInvent online this year. How was that? It's, it's rubbish online, isn't it? Yeah. You, you're sitting in the same office watching a lot of people and you're thinking, I've been there. I know where you're sitting. Yeah. I know exactly where you're going as soon as this finishes. Yeah. I know all the evening events that are on. And I, I, I say again, in, in the, I think I've said on a podcast previously that people get fixated almost with the fact a lot of these conferences are in Vegas. Mm. And especially in the public sector, that becomes a, a huge thing. But you have to remember that even reInvent this year, I think 20,000 people went and that was wow. a scaled down event. So normally you're probably talking 30, 40,000 people going, where else are you going to host it? Yeah. That's literally got 50 hotels in a row that can cope with that many people. There is nowhere else. And yeah. you don't necessarily almost leave the hotel when you're there i've i've been and not left i've been to uh dreamforce and everyone said whatever you do don't stay in tenderloin i've picked a hotel right in the middle of tenderloin it's <laughs> it, it wasn't the nicest area i actually really enjoyed it it was a bit like the one out of the shining it was <laughs> spooky walking back to the room uh, rooms at the end of the corridor yeah but it, i wasn't i didn't see any of san francisco yeah I walked from my hotel to the, is it the Moscone? Yeah, the Moscone Centre, yeah. I walked from there to the Moscone and back again. Yeah. And maybe had some food and that was it. And it was only because the flight was cheaper if you had a Saturday night in it or something. Right. That I got the Saturday in San Francisco to actually, I think I went to Alcatraz. Right. For the day. If 
if the if the flight had been cheaper to come back on the Friday night, mm. I'd have come back on the Friday night, and my entire experience of San Francisco would have been two streets. Yeah, of course. And it, it, you're right, though. It's the perception, isn't it? I mean, mm. I think in America, local council guy goes to Vegas for a week. I know, murdered it, it, in the press. It's terrible. It looks terrible. The, the, you know, what are the alternatives? Orlando, Florida, maybe. But then, of course, people are going to turn around and say, "We're just going to go to Disneyland for a week." Yeah. Or, you know, maybe Chicago, but you know, it's to your point. There's there's nowhere that is being purposefully built in North America that can host tens of thousands of people and have the conference space all contained within, you know, the yeah. strip as what it is. But of course, there's everything else that's bolted on. But but you know, if you are going to these in-person events, again, from an entertainment perspective, it's great to do in the evening dinners or you know drinks receptions meet and greets there's no better place to do it but absolutely that, that reminds me rob we went to a very nice steak restaurant in yes, san francisco yeah. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> but it is it's it's that it's like you said it's the perception but i know that whatever that cost to go yeah and obviously i was lucky because i was talking at a lot of them so i didn't ultimately i didn't pay but even if that's three grand to go the amount of knowledge, understanding, training, conf- conversations I had with people, yeah, far outweighed the cost of attending it. Hundred percent. And you're not bored because there are so many sessions that are business sessions, uh, process improvement, business change, and and uh, Salesforce, Dreamforce. One hundred forty thousand people went to that the year I went. It takes over half of San Francisco. Yeah. They're closed streets and all sorts. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. But you see 140,000 people with a Salesforce rucksack walking down the street. Yeah. But the, I took someone from Peterborough with me because they had to almost validate that Salesforce was the right tool. And it was brilliant because every session we went to was basically, as I said, we had a problem. We didn't know what to do. The problem was we had to process X number of applications. We therefore built this. We did this. And yeah, the, the solution for us was Salesforce. But you're almost going through that process of what was the outcome you wanted to achieve? And did you achieve it? Yeah. Yes, we did with, with flying colors. Therefore, it's the right thing. And you don't need to be technical in any way, shape or form to sit in that session and go, I get this. And like you say, then I'll go back maybe my CTO is next to me or with me, we can actually have the conversation of you obviously understood the technical bits where he said, this is how you build it. But I got the business side of it. This is something I think we can take back to our organization. Mm. because I know we have a problem in marketing or a problem in sales that needs fixing. But also think about like all of the informal conversations that you had and then and the business cards that you swapped. I mean, that's probably not a thing anymore, right? Business yeah. card swapping, but you know, details swapped so that when you're back in the office, you're like, Oh, I met a really interesting person actually. And she was implementing something in a different sector and she might be based in North America, but you connected around the coffee, you know, machine, whatever it might be. You can then pick up the phone or send an email to that individual and say, let's set up some time or come over to our offices and talk about the implementation program that you went through. That's why these things are so powerful. And again, it comes down to networking. Uh, I don't mean, you know, networking in the, in, in the, in the technical sense, but the actual human aspect of it. 
um, that you just cannot get from virtual and digital events, right? They're, they're, they works, it just works so much better in person. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, luckily I got to, I got half an hour with Andy Jassy. Did you? At the AWS event, yeah. And, and again, just being in a room with him to say, look, this is the challenge we're facing, what we're trying to do, and him go almost validating it. And I used to love going to AWS because there was a, another guy, I won't name him, but he was ex-White House advisor. And me and him used to have some cracking chats over a beer in the evening and stuff. Yeah, like you said, it's that personal thing. And you come away not just going, actually, I now understand the AWS environment, the ecosystem, everything they've got. I had this really good chat with him. I understand this. Yeah. For me, that is, I know you, you're going to get negative press ultimately if you jump on a plane and go to San Francisco or Vegas for three days. But I think until you've actually done it and been there and been in the environment, you don't really understand the benefits that all of those conversations mm. have and how that then changes the conversations you have when you're then back at your business. Well, this is it. You can bring real life examples back with you, right? So when you're having those discussions and when you're talking to, you know, as a non-technical person to a technical room, you say, hey, I was in San Francisco last week speaking with the CIO of X company who's done this. And these, these are the problems they saw. These is what, this is what they were solving for. This was the technology that they brought in. And then all of a sudden, you as a non-technical person, in inverted commas, are having a technical discussion, in inverted commas, with the group that you want to because you've, you have gone out, discussed, understood, made some notes, come back, presented it to the team, they're all on board all of a sudden. They're like, hang on a minute, this guy actually maybe does know what they're talking about. Or, you know, that's a really interesting concept, would love to know more. But again, you've broken down that barrier of, look, I'm not a technical person here, but I went out and I saw this and I think it could be good. And have we considered this? All of a sudden, you've just completely removed that us and them mentality because you've been the one that's gone out and had, you know, found what was important, potentially you've got a solve for it and you've come back to the business and said, look, this is something I think we should take a look at because of X, Y, Z. And it's, you know, it's incredible how much of a mindset shift that can do to the people in the room that maybe on paper are completely removed from what you're doing, but actually they just haven't, they haven't seen the issue themselves. So yeah, yeah it's fascinating. And, and I think as well, isn't it, it's that, almost take the technical bits out. I've been in rooms where you start going, I'm a, the IT guy, and you're almost like having to sit people back down again because they want to leave because it's like, right. oh, here we go, he's going to bang on about <laughs> IT and stuff. But <laughs> you're not. You're going in and having a proper conversation. Yeah. Here's the problem. This is what was done to solve it and and bringing people into that. Yeah. And, yeah, and for me, the the issue in the UK is there's not enough conferences like that. Local government is very much local government IT conference mm. and it's here's an IT supplier let's shove a customer on stage we'll get 15 slides about that council and the problems they've got you know every council's got that yeah and then a bit of a demo of, of the tool or something it's like not bothered I want yeah. to know it's great that you've got these tools but come on stage and go we needed to save five million pounds we did this this is what we did these are the changes we made we saved five and a half million pound off the back of it. Mm. Now I'm interested. And now I'm going to go, okay, and almost like what was the tech that did that and how did you yeah. achieve it? 
are not interested if you just stand up and go we bought a low code solution or we bought this solution and it works well or we we migrated to office 365 it's like, well done yeah Every, everyone has <laughs> yeah. everyone had to last year you've you've, you've implemented teams good good on yeah. you yeah that, that's a great effort <laughs> something you should have done five years ago and it took a global pandemic for you to actually click the button yeah. and use it but again if hopefully if what the pandemic has done is opened people's eyes to at least being open to using new technology yeah that's a good thing yeah i mean there's a lot of obviously horrific things that the pandemic has brought uh, along which we won't discuss of course um but there are definitely some positives and i think to your point like suddenly everybody's had to you know be on their own and understand oh hang on my computer's not working properly at the moment and you know how do i solve it you know and and, and i think people are now much more confident using tech um, i mean we all use it you know in, in every day in our lives without really thinking about it but now it's become such an important aspect i mean nobody well, not nobody but if you'd if you had asked 10 people three years ago what zoom is mm. they would have probably said it's a word i use to describe a rocket or a or a you know a fast car yeah. you ask 10 people what zoom is now at least nine would probably say say it's a thing that i've used to call my gran on over the pandemic yeah. right so you know that in itself that's just obviously one example of many and, and, it, and it becomes a verb yeah i know well, exactly. it's, it's like oh let's jump on a zoom like you hear it all yeah. the time everywhere let's jump on a zoom call and it, it's kind of like it's good and it's bad. It frustrates me, but it's like Uber, right? Let, or yeah, know, let's Google it. Let's let's let, you know. It's it really is a. It's crazy how how quickly people have adapted their lifestyles to, to the shift that the pandemic has brought, and I think it's a good thing. I'm interested to see you know the future of technology and how people are going to embrace things like the metaverse. And the resistance that that's going to bring and the learnings that we're going to find i mean i'm very mixed about it i watched um ready player one the the, the yes, movie. i did uh, the other week yeah yeah it, it was on I'd, I'd seen it on a plane before but i watched it again um this time and it's a if you've not seen ready player one or you're not really sure what the metaverse is all about watch ready player one and it's a fantastic sort of introduction if you like to what the future of life is going to be you know, and there are people that will spend thousands of pounds or dollars on their, you know, online avatar profile. It's, it's going to be crazy. People, people want, you know, people will want to live in this kind of new virtual world because their world in the real, or their life in the real world sucks. So they, 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 they're, they're going to, you know, be turning to this metaverse or, you know, however it's going to be called. And whether you my, I did one of I think my previous podcast or the one before was a a bit of a council and metaverse thing of almost what where we're going to be in 2030 and how we're going to be using it and mm. it's not because I sit there and think oh wow we're going to suddenly all be in it but <laughs> you almost need to be on board the journey to watch what's happening yeah and to think about what that could mean so I went through planning applications and actually you put your extension in, in, in a VR world, you can put a headset on, you can go in 
you can see your neighbor's extension and how it's going to affect your property and things and go in, walk around, spin it and do various bits. That's a very simple thing. The technology for that probably exists today. And I've, I've played with my son's Oculus headset. It's mm. incredible, some of it. I, it was much better than I thought it was. Yeah, definitely. And they're the generation coming through that have grown up playing Fortnite, playing Minecraft, having these headsets and everything else. So if you don't think it's going to happen, it is. Oh, And I, and I yeah. see it with, we've mentioned Web3 and NFTs and everything like that. <laughs> However many people are anti it, there's the same amount who are pro it. Oh, yeah. And the pro-its will force it through. And there's, <clears throat> I think I saw this morning someone going, uh, our first VC of the year has been in a Web3 company. And you kind of like, that. people are funding it. It's going to come and it's going to happen, yeah. whether yeah. you like it or not. Definitely. I'm not a big fan of cryptocurrencies or things until I set my own up and people buy it for a lot of money. <laughs> but I know it's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, in some way or shape or form, it's it's coming. The, the, whether it's what it looks like today, yes. or whether we adapt it and and grow it and change it, that's something else. But you have to be on the boat today, sort of thing, to to yeah. be following where it's going. M m most definitely. I mean, you you look at you look at the majority of, uh, I guess. 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds. I have a niece who's 18 and she's on Snap, TikTok, barely uses Facebook, but is on Instagram, you know, all these all these social media platforms and and you know posts all the time on them. And and that is the first step of the you know the the, the metaverse yeah. that is coming down the road. I mean, Oculus is is great. I um I I actually have a bit of a problem with it with my eyes. It's after a while. It, uh, I'd say after maybe just ten minutes, I feel a bit sick using it. Um, but again, that's because it's the first generation of its kind of its tech. Well, maybe not, but it's an early yeah. um, uh, form of of this technology. The other um, the other uh, piece I was going to talk about is, you know, for every there there, there, there will be some some issues that we have to put right of course, you know, how the technology is being used. But think about all the benefits of, 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 of how this technology is going to be. Things like surgeries and, you know, uh, space exploration. And, you know, Google, have, I, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Google recently have uh, announced their new video conferencing platform, which is coming yeah. uh, in, you know, in, in, in the future. And it, and, and, you know, looking at the demos of it, it feels like you're stood next to the person. I mean, that, imagine that. If you th think about the pandemic, people that you haven't seen for a couple of years, if it's loved ones, friends, family, wh whomever it might be, but then you're able to, you know, in the future, feel like you're stood next to them in a the room. That's huge, you know? And Yeah, and it's, it's a huge leap from changing your wallpaper <laughs> on the back of your Zoom yeah. floor, isn't it? But, yeah, totally. But you know that's where people have already gone yeah. People want something different. They want to feel part of a team, whether you're remote or not. And and this is the thing, isn't it? It's these things are coming. You, you look at them today, and like you said, you're looking at iteration one or two right. of the tech. Tech's only going to get better, quicker, faster. In five years, it's going to be 
a long way from where it is today. In 10 years, it's going to be even further. Yeah. And this is where I think councils are particularly slow in what they're doing. We're still talking at the moment about creating online forms <laughs> in councils. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That, that's where the conversation is. And oh, we've built a process with a form. It's like, wow, it's 2022. And <laughs> that's kind of where we are. Do you think and that's, that's why I did my podcast the other week on imagine your form was VR in a headset. You walked up to yeah. any council building because you could all be the same and you just pick which council you're at and click a few buttons and mm. it automatically authenticates you because it knows who you are. It pulls your details because you've got them stored in your own digital wallet. You're sharing stuff with it. Everything is going to be slightly different yeah. and more accessible and and yeah, it does change, I think, massively how you're going to interact with with services. Do, do you think one of the reasons why councils are, or, or some industry sectors, but we'll use councils, do you think one of the reasons why they are perhaps slower to not embrace the technology, but to adopt it? Because there's no real, comp I mean, there's no competition, right? So it's not like a bank, that if a bank is really slow at adopting, the challenger bank's going to come along and steal the customers, right? It doesn't really happen. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen, does it, with the council? No, it's, yeah, it, it's two things. One is they're not really being pushed. Yeah. And two is is appetite for risk. Okay. And does anyone want to go first? Not really. Yes. We'll sit and wait. And I know from the stuff I did five, six years ago that obviously not everything I did worked, but we were trying something very different, very new. Mm. I now look at councils who are doing similar stuff. And I don't know whether it's me going, okay, maybe I, I opened a door for you to now try that. Or there was a five or six other CIOs at a similar time who were trying stuff. And, and they've also opened some of those doors that some of those conversations have to now happen and someone has to drive it. But yeah, it's it's a huge thing because there's there's a much better way to do housing benefit mm. than is currently being done. It's it's a proper manual process heavy job. You could automate all of it and have it as a self-assessment and and just quality check it. But for one council to stand up and go, this is how we're now going to do it, is massive. And literally there'll be 400 eyes on them watching, 200 hoping it works, 200 hoping it fails. And... I suppose it's a, it's a little bit like, do you know Dan Price, the guy in America that pays all his staff a minimum of 70 grand a year? Yes, yes. Similar thing. He went for it and said, this is the model I'm going to go with. I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to walk the walk and, and prove it's possible. He lives in a world where 50% of people hate his business and hope it fails. And 50% think it's the best thing ever. And... For every job he advertises, he gets about 20,000 applicants for it. And so he's fine because he's a public, uh, sorry, a privately owned mm. business. He can make those decisions. In a council, it's much harder. You're dealing with, uh, you've obviously got councillors to appease who want to be elected. You've got chief execs and senior teams who don't necessarily understand how they can transform those services and do something differently. And like you said, because there isn't suddenly a, a starling or a, someone appearing next to them or an Airbnb appearing next to them and going, we're going to do something different, actually, unless you adopt 
the way we're doing it, you're going to disappear. Mm. They're not. And and so I get very annoyed because all I hear councils say is we don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. And it's like, you don't to deliver everything the way you're currently delivering it, but you need to almost get a blank piece of paper and start again. And it's not going to be every service and every single bit, but there's loads of waste in councils that can be removed. And yeah, there's, there's not really the kick up the backside. And that's why we're almost still at the let's build some online forms and make it easier to report stuff rather than actually let's rip up the model and mm. do it completely differently. I don't think there's the appetite. I don't think there's the, <coughs> sorry, the insight to do it that way. There's probably not the funding to make that initial. You can't go to a VC and go, I've got a new idea of how to run housing benefit. Can you pump 3 million in and we'll see if right. it works? You obviously can do stuff. You can borrow on that, but it's, it, it's different. But yeah, I think it will come. It's just, again, for me, the more we can bring the business and IT together to talk business outcomes and business solutions, the more you'll start to get new ideas and new services come in and being delivered in different ways and different models. And until you really can connect those teams, you'll always struggle because they'll always view one is just the tech is doing their bit and we're the business doing the work rather than thinking of themselves as a, a kind of a, a joined up ecosystem that, that needs to work together. That's good. Thank you for your insights. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're interviewing me. We've flipped it. This is why you're on the radio, Rob. <laughs> You've put it straight back. But I think we'll, we'll, I, know, I know you and I could talk for hours and days. Definitely. But anyone listening has probably gone into a code. If they're now, still listening. If they're still listening. So... Uh, we'll call it a day. And Rob, thank you very much for taking the time to to come on this morning. It's really appreciated. And all the best for 2022. I hope it is a very prosperous year for you. Thank you very much. And so thank, thank you for having me. And uh, I'd love, love to come back. So um, if you have me, again, uh, Happy New Year to you. We'll make it a weekly thing. Yes. Okay, <laughs> okay mate. Thank you uh, for coming. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And speak to you all next week. Goodbye.